Welcome to the Postpartum Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Madison Fugere. I'm a certified postpartum doula and pediatric sleep consultant, the owner of Serene Moments, LLC, and a prior nanny and daycare manager. In this podcast, I'm going to talk about everything and anything that comes along with the postpartum period. I want to be your postpartum bestie by offering support, reassurance, and tips and tricks. Many people curate the perfect birth plan, but why not a postpartum plan? Together, we're going to build your postpartum plan because everyone deserves to have the postpartum experience that they want. Dr. Krista Jenny of Pelvis Restored is a pelvic floor physical therapist passionate about providing personalized care for individuals navigating pelvic floor conditions, including pelvic pain, pregnancy and postpartum changes, as well as urinary, bowel, and sexual dysfunction. Dr. Krista believes in establishing pre- and postnatal physical therapy as a standard of care as practiced in other countries. Issues like incontinence, painful intercourse, scar pain, pelvic or back pain, pelvic pressure, and abdominal separation (laughs) may be common, but they are not normal. Be sure to check out the show notes below for more information about Krista, how to get in touch with her, as well as some amazing documents that she has so amazingly shared with me to gift to you guys. Hi, Krista. Thank you so much for coming on today and joining me. I'm excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am hyped to have like another pelvic floor therapist on the podcast, um, especially someone that I've like literally known for when we were tiny humans, I swear. Um, (laughs) so it's great, um, to have someone else on and like talk about, even if it's like the same kind of stuff, because I think people don't even know pelvic floor therapy is like really an option of support and like something that can be really beneficial, especially pre and postnatal. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited because the other episode was a little while ago. So hopefully newer listeners are tuning in and learning some stuff today. Yeah, and hopefully people can go away learning some t- t- tips and tricks and know when they should reach out to a pelvic PT themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, so do you want to start by telling everybody a little bit about you and like how you got into this field and then we'll dive into the work itself? Definitely. Yeah, so I got my undergrad degree in nutrition and I was always interested in pregnancy, postpartum, lactation, infancy, n- nutrition, all of that. My advisor convinced me not to be a dietitian because she told me I'd be in hospital kitchens watching knife fights. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, what else can I do? So um, I went to Texas Women's University for physical therapy. I was a dancer with you <laughs> yep. growing up. So I've always been interested in the body and keeping moving and staying healthy. Um, so yeah, our first semester there, we had maybe four or five different professors like not our normal freshers, but people in the community would come and give yeah. lectures to us about all different aspects of pelvic health. So first semester of school, I was like, yep, yeah, I can do that. So I'm super grateful that I was able to find this field early. The field's pretty new within like the last 10 years. So it's yeah. rapidly growing. And I'm sure everyone on Instagram, Facebook, wherever they are, they always see pelvic health stuff just coming out. And yeah, hopefully more and more people know that it's there to help them. Yeah, I think it is. It's so it's it's refreshing to hear that it is a newer thing because I think people haven't heard of it and then they're like, oh, mm-hmm. whatever. Like people did without that, right? But like to think that now, like, no, there are so many, you know, resources and things that you can do to help make things better and easier for you in, you know, the whole scheme of the perinatal community um, yeah. can be super helpful. And I mean, outside of pregnancy too, but obviously like that's the main focus of what we're doing here today. But um, yeah, so I'm excited. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit about like what the pelvic floor is, like what 
this kind of like service and, and support that you provide does and all of that? Sure. So first, I'll just kind of go over what the pelvic floor functions are. So these are a group of muscles below your pelvis. So kind of connect your sit bones and your pubic bone and tailbone together. So they're kind of like a hammock and should function kind of like a trampoline. So things like your intra-abdominal pressure that increases when you lift heavy things, cough, laugh, sneeze, jump. So your pelvic floor muscles should be able to kind of act like that trampoline and engage when you need them. Sometimes when you have any kind of trauma, pregnancy, childbirth, you kind of can lose that connection and we have to retrain those muscles how to function correctly. Right. Um, so they offer support. So they support our pelvic organs like our bladder, our rectum, and our uterus, preventing pelvic organ prolapse, which is when the organs can actually start to fall out the vaginal canal. And people might experience things like pelvic pressure, heaviness, have some voiding dysfunction when using the restroom. They also help stabilize. So they're a big part of our core when our pelvic floor muscles engage, our deep core, which is called the transverse abdominis, which is kind of like that corset muscle that supports you. Um, they should all fire and stabilize your core. So sometimes when core stability isn't perfect, um, people can experience low back pain or SI joint pain or pubic symphysis pain just because we're not able to stabilize the spine correctly. Right. So a lot of times exercise can be super effective and easy, easy treat for fixing back pain and pubic pain that's caused by that. Um, they pelvic floor muscles also have a sphincteric function. So they help close the urethra openings and anal openings so that we don't leak urine gas or stool. So that's important. Yeah. <laughs> also, a lot of people don't recognize that um, the pelvic floor muscles play a huge role in climax and orgasm. So if these muscles are weak and you don't have enough stimulation around the clitoris, then you might have trouble reaching climax or yeah, <laughs> things like that. Also, if these muscles are too tight, they might cause pain with intercourse where you can't tolerate penetration as well. Almost done with the functions, I promise. You're good. <laughs> they also play a role in circulation. So there's a lot of lymph nodes in the pelvic region. So when these muscles contract and relax, like they do just when doing normal activities, I mean, you can do pelvic floor contractions on your own too to help with this as well, but it's kind of like a sump pump and it helps bring fluid out of the pelvic region. So if people have anything like pelvic congestion or swelling, it, the pelvic floor muscles functioning can help a lot with lymphatic and blood flow. And then also with posture, pelvic floor muscles, whenever you're out around walking, exercising, they're always slightly on just to help have a slight nat natural activation to hold your posture correctly. And last one, <laughs> they're also coordinated with the diaphragm. So as you inhale, your diaphragm lowers, lungs fill with air, pelvic floor lowers. So that's why typically when people have tension, we say, okay, relax on the inhale. Think about dropping a marble out of the vagina. Think about your sit bones spreading. So coordinating with the diaphragm. And then as you exhale, diaphragm comes back up, pelvic floor naturally engages. So that's why sometimes with exercise, we say to exhale with exertion. So yeah. as you're doing the rep, you're doing that exhale so that pelvic floor can naturally turn on by itself and you don't really have to think about it. Sometimes in pregnancy, postpartum or other conditions, those muscles don't have that coordination. They've lost it. So you have to consciously think about doing the pelvic floor right. engagement first. But for a typical just person out in the community, you don't necessarily want to say, okay, be doing a Kegel every time you do an kind of <laughs> exertion, right? Right, so, right. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I know being in this community and like I said, having somebody on the podcast before with pelvic floor stuff, you know, like there are things that you think about when you think about, okay, pelvic floor, but 
the fact that you're able to list like so many other things and things that I think people don't realize, right? Like uh, (laughs) even, even the idea of like, oh my gosh, this lower back pain that so many people have after having babies or during pregnancy Mm -hmm. and knowing, yeah, part of that could be your body and your organs moving due to like having a baby inside of you. Um, But it also has a lot to do with like your pelvic floor and different muscles engaging. And I think that people don't realize how important it is to have those muscles like doing the proper tasks in order to help with so many more things that's not just, you know, not making sure you don't pee your pants while you sneeze, right? Like <laughs> For sure. And uh, yeah, a lot of people that have had, have gone to PT for low back pain or hip pain before, and they aren't seeing progress. A lot of times it is the pelvic floor that's involved. So then instead of right. just saying, oh, physical therapy doesn't work, um, try to find a specialist in pelvic floor PT that can maybe find the root cause of why you're having that pain if it wasn't able to be resolved beforehand but absolutely it's like one of those things that I feel like is just such an underlying like route to so many different things that people can be experiencing right for sure and also just pelvic floor issues are a taboo topic and a lot of people right. don't talk to them or like they talk to their moms or grandmas or like oh that's just happens when a lot of yep. these things might be common but they're definitely not normal and yeah, I really believe in establishing pre and postnatal physical therapy as more of a standard of care, like it is practiced in other countries like France, because so many moms experience incontinence, painful sex, scar pain, whether it be C-section scar or perineal scar pain. And a lot of people think, oh, I had a C-section. I don't have pelvic floor issues, which right. isn't necessarily true because you still carried your baby through your whole pregnancy and had all right. that extra pressure. Um And yeah, sometimes some of the moms I've seen, the people that have the worst pelvic issues are sometimes the ones that had the C-section. Right. Also, any restrictions in the scar. So you should be able to lift up your scar and move it. I mean, once you're cleared, (laughs) um, be able to move your scar and it should be be able to be super mobile. If it's not, it can actually restrict your organs and it can lead to constipation and pelvic pain, painful periods, pain with sex, all sorts of things. So we want nice mobile scar tissues that our organs can slide and glide and move past each other to prevent any dysfunction. Also, yeah, a lot of people have pelvic back or back pain, pelvic pressure, or that feeling of prolapse, and then the abdominal separation, which is the diastasis recti, which can be um, related to low back pain and incontinence and pelvic pressure as well. But yeah, I feel like it's all just so hand in hand, right? Like there's there's so many different things that could be going on and they can all definitely be rooted back to some type of pelvic floor support that could be provided. Um, And it's so interesting. So like when you have people coming to you looking for support, um, I guess there's two parts to this first being, you know, prenatal family uh, people and then postpartum people. Um, What are people typically like coming to you for? And what are like the very common things that you're seeing and like I know it's probably different patient to patient, but do you have any specific things that people um, can try and do like at home as well that if anybody's listening, they might be like, oh, I could try that out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I would just say um, there was a study that came out that said like a lot of people that when they think they're doing a pelvic floor contraction, they're actually not doing it correctly. And so I feel like it's, it's really good. Just even if you go to a pelvic PT once, just to know if you're like, when you think you're engaging, are you engaging? Or do you even know what an engagement is? Maybe a lot of people maybe just squeeze their inner thighs together and think they're doing a pelvic floor contraction, where really it's a circumferential squeezing, like 
around your urethra kind of and then pulling up towards your head and then when you release everything drops down so some people actually do this backwards so they're when they think they're engaging they're actually bearing down like they're having a bowel movement and this can have big implications later in life if you're always straining downwards when you think you're engaging when you're lifting heavy things whenever you're doing anything that makes you more so, so much more at risk for things like pelvic organ prolapse or hemorrhoids. So right. I think it's super important just to know, are you squeezing when you think you're squeezing? Are you relaxing when you think you're relaxing? Um, but some things people can do at home are just kind of like trying to imagine, like, are they able to feel when they engage the pelvic floor and when they relax? On the inhale, are they able to imagine like their sit bones are spreading, like they're dropping a marble down and out? When they think they're engaging, do they feel like they're grabbing around a marble and lifting up towards their head? Another thing to to test is if you do a, a pelvic floor contraction, you should be able to kind of te- uh, feel tension on your lower abdomen because that's that transverse abdominis kicking in. But mm-hmm. I'm not saying people should just be randomly doing Kegels at home. And a lot of people say, oh, to know if you're doing a Kegel right, stop your flow of urine while you're peeing, which I don't recommend that. That can contribute to UTIs and things we don't want. Um, So if you really are interested in if you're doing it right, I would go see a pelvic PTs and and they can let you know exactly how it's going. But a lot of people I see have more pelvic floor muscle tension. So I'm just going to kind of go over the two main things I see. So there can be tension or there can be laxity in the pelvic floor muscles. So typical things I'll see in people that have more pelvic floor tension are going to be urinary urgency, feeling like you can't make it to the bathroom on time. It's kind of like it could also be like a key in the door syndrome. Like as soon as you turn your key, when you get home, you're like, oh gosh, I need to go pee right now. And you leak, leak urine on your way running to the bathroom. <laughs> so that would be urge urinary incontinence. Or just, you don't have to have the incontinence part. It could just be urgency, feeling like you can't make it. Or urinary frequency. So we should be able to hold our bladder for like two to four hours. So if you feel like you have to go pee every 30 minutes or every hour, that's more than we'd like. And if we always go to the bathroom, as soon as we first get the urge to urinate, that can train our bladder to think it needs to fully empty when it's only a fourth of the way full. And Uh then we're going to spend our whole life not being able to do anything because we have to go pee all the time, right? Right. Um, So that's something we work on. So if that's something someone's experiencing, they can just try to give themselves some bladder self-talk. You know, I didn't have to pee this bad five minutes ago. And then just trying to find like deep diaphragmatic um, breaths, finding ways to kind of calm the nervous system, calmly stand there and then slowly walk to the bathroom instead of running there, being all parasympathetic and fight or flight, freaking out. Right. <laughs> so that's something for that. Um, and then trying to gradually make yourself up to be able to wait two hours between voids. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be going out and watching a three hour movie or whatever, sure, go pee beforehand because you know you're not going to have access to a bathroom easily. Right. Um, but if you know you're going to be somewhere with a bathroom, trying to avoid just peeing just in case. Or when you're on a road trip, every time you see a gas station, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to go stop and pee just because you see a gas station. Right. Like that. But on the other hand, with bowel issues, once you get the urge, you kind of want to go right away because you don't want to get constipated. Right. So with the urinary urge, um, urges you can kind of wait it out suppress it wait for the urge to go down but with bowel urges try to go right away (laughs) that's good to know some other things for tension are any of the pelvic pain so like people have pain with sitting some cyclists have like um, pain sitting on the bikes they might be um the pelvic floor muscle tension sometimes can irritate the pudendal nerve which is the nerve that goes to the kind of groin region underneath perineal region um, and then pain with sex. So, and sometimes when you have a fear of having pain with sex, then that kind of makes a cycle where like you're afraid. So you tension guard and you tense and guard. So it's more painful. And then you tense more. 
Um, so a lot of times pain with sex is, you know, mental too, along with just like we get trigger points in our neck or shoulders, you can also get trigger points in your pelvic floor muscles. So as a pelvic floor PT, sometimes we do intravaginal or intrarectal work where we're getting the muscles to calm down and find their normal resting tone. So the muscles, if you have your hand and you feel like, what do you call this? The thumb pad. The thumb pad. Yeah. Like <laughs> where your thumb is. Yeah. So if you have like your thumb and index finger together and you press on your thumb pad there, it's soft and springy. That's how pelvic floor muscle should feel. If you bring your pinky and thumb together and then feel that it's, you can feel how it's kind of hard and yeah. not soft and springy. So a lot of people that have pelvic floor muscle tension, they feel like this. So we're trying to get those muscles to soften and relax. And then we're kind of doing that neuromotor re-ed. It's like, okay, take a mental picture of how you feel right now with those muscles relaxed. Now I want you to do a pelvic floor contraction. I want you to be able to drop it all the way back down to where we just found it. A lot of people have trouble with that where they engage and they can only go down halfway. Right. And then it might take a couple minutes to go all the way back down. So that's a person where Kegels would probably be contraindicated at first, just because mm -hmm. you don't want to be squeezing and squeezing through half the range of motion. Also, some people think that leaking or pelvic pain or whatever are caused just by lax muscles or weak muscles. And sometimes mm -hmm. they're half engaged all the time and they just don't have the proper length and tension relationship to get a strong engagement to prevent symptoms. Yeah, so <laughs> that's for that. And then also constipation, tension in these muscles can close around the anus and make it really hard. Some people will notice they have like pencil thin poops, or maybe they have to wipe and wipe and wipe after a bowel movement, they're not able to get everything out. Or maybe they just went to the bathroom or went on the toilet a couple minutes ago. And now they feel like, oh, I have to go have a bowel movement again. And they didn't, weren't able to get everything out that first time. Mm. So bowel symptoms as well. And yeah, for more of these tension-related symptoms, we're doing a lot of myofascial release. So you can think of connective tissue as like a full-body cable knit leotard. And if there's tension, so like say I raveled up my shirt and pulled up, you can see that a knot up higher would can pull on the bladder, can pull on the pelvis, really anywhere on the body. So if there's fascial restrictions that are kind of restricting everything from sliding and gliding, that can contribute to pain at distant sites as well. So we do a lot of myofascial release, a lot of muscle lengthening, a lot of central nervous system downregulation for those people that have more tension-related symptoms. And then on the other hand, more laxity. So this would be more of the stress urinary incontinence. So before we talked about the urge, urinary incontinence, that's like you have that strong urge, you're running to the bathroom, you don't know if you're gonna make it on time. Whereas the stress urinary incontinence is more with impact or increased abdominal pressure, coughing, laughing, sneezing, pushing, pulling, lifting, all of those sorts of things. Um, which, I mean, stress urinary incontinence could be from pelvic floor tension too, if you don't have that full range of motion to get that strong contraction. But sometimes if you feel the tone, no tension, that's maybe a time when pelvic floor just needs to gain some strength and that's pretty easy to treat. <laughs> Right. Um, sometimes pelvic organ prolapse can be from laxity, but it could also you could also have symptoms with having tension as well. And then more of the pregnancy, low back pain, SI joint pain from the instability. That's typically from the laxity and diastasis recti, which is the six pack ab muscle separation. So the linea alba is connective tissue that goes down the center of your abdomen. And during pregnancy, that connective tissue starts to um, kind of pull apart and stretch. And if the deep core is weak, then sometimes you'll have some depth where you can, you do like a little crunch from the floor, your fingers can really sink in, or you'll have some coning or doming where the abdomen actually starts to kind of stick out like a volcano. And um, that's typically from, <laughs> I'm sure you've seen it. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
come from the transverse abdominis not being strong enough to put tension over that linea alba. So that's when we need to strengthen the pelvic floor and core to be able to have that deep core contraction so that you're able to do your functional activities without having that combing and doning. We care more with diastasis about the um, the depth, so how far your fingers can sink in versus the width. And the width is usually really easy to resolve just by doing myofascial release. So every pregnant mom I see, I tell them to do myofascial release on their abdomen. So you put your bare hands on your bare skin. So you have that friction. You don't want to use any lotion or oil and you're coming kind of from above the rib cage, pulling down towards the belly button. And you might take 30 seconds to a minute or even more each spot. You're going to kind of stop at the sticky points from the straight from the side towards the belly button and then down from underneath the belly towards the belly button. Just making sure that fascia's all loose because your belly should be soft and squishy like a water balloon, not hard like a rock during pregnancy. Also, that helps your baby have space to move because the job during pregnancy is to carry your baby, but your baby has a job to position itself and be able to move around like they need to. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's it's so much information, but it's like so good, right? Like I think that knowing like all of these different things and having people listen in is so important because people are so used to not talking about it like you had mentioned and mm -hmm. so used to being like, oh, I'm the only one that feels this way or uh, no one else like experiences this or experiences that. So by even just listing all these different things that could be causes of a tight or a weak pelvic floor muscle, I think is something that can be so reassuring to people because they're like, oh, wait, that's me, you know? Um, and yeah. then to hear it from a medical, like from a professional to know like, okay, great. Like, yes, this is, you know, so normal, or this is like, okay, that you feel this way, we can fix that, I think is, is yeah. really reassuring. And then I also see people not necessarily pregnancy postpartum that have things like endometriosis or antisystole cystitis or painful bladder syndrome, some more of those chronic pelvic pain conditions too. So you do not have to be pregnant or postpartum to have pelvic floor issues. Everyone has a pelvic floor, even guys. A lot of guys have pelvic floor issues they don't talk about. Right. <laughs> they have all of the same muscles. Um, but yeah, so super, super common things that people think are normal that aren't necessarily. And I also see people for more fertility support as well. So mechanical infertility could be from the organs not be being able to get in the proper position uh -huh. for implantation. So I do a lot of mis visceral mobilization, which is mobilization of the organs too, to make sure everything's able to slide and glide like it should be. Sometimes there's some restrictions, especially if you do have any scar tissue um, from past experiences as well. Yeah. So that's something I do as well. And then I also do um, therapeutic ultrasound for clogged milk ducts, which. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> which, so it's um, different than the ultrasound you do to see your baby's gender. It's therapeutic ultrasounds. So it emits non painful sound waves and it's um, a thermal heat, um, but it, it doesn't get hot because we keep it moving. So you, it really doesn't feel like anything, but it, yeah, what it does, it helps decrease inflammation and helps open up the milk ducts so that and can help stimulate the milk ejection reflex to prevent, um, help prevent mastitis and then help with engorgement or any clogged ducts people are experiencing. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's amazing. So if people don't have somebody around them that does something like that, right, um, and are experiencing like clogged ducts, do you have things that you suggest to them like that work similarly or you know, yeah. probably not the same level of, of, <laughs> of help, but um, anything specific? Because I know the, well, the guidelines yeah. for milk ducts and stuff has kind of switched recently. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, yeah, I got the, the chance to observe with Dr. Katrina Mitchell, who is a 
breast surgeon and lactation consultant in Santa Barbara. And she has the website Physician's Guide to Breastfeeding. And I got to observe with her one day and I learned a lot from her. So I would say, just like if you sprained your ankle and it was super swollen, you probably wouldn't heat it, right? So I would, you want to decrease the inflammation. So I think more like ice, you could take some NSAIDs. If your doctor approves of that, you could apply compression. So I always recommend moms wear a nice compressive bra to help with the swelling. So a lot of it can be just they get so full and heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Heavy and swollen. So like applying some compression can help with the lymphatic drainage can also do some self lymphatic drainage on like your neck and armpit area to help prevent that. Um, but yeah, mostly I think compression ice and SEDS if you need it um, are the main things I wouldn't, you, you can think of your breast tissue kind of like raspberries. They're super delicate. So you don't want to be smushing and breaking up all your your milk ducts and turning them into mush. I've had some moms that use massage guns on their breasts, um, crazy things. And then they had an abscess develop and they had to have it surgically drained. Um, so just knowing that your breasts are super delicate and to te- treat, treat them tenderly. But Yeah, yeah, it is because I think for the longest time there, it was something that people always said, you know, you're supposed to heat and then you're supposed to, you know, pump an absurd amount and all that. Whereas, you know, if we're we're talking about the newer things, like you said, it's it's just like it would to be a sprained ankle or something, right? We want to be using ice and, you know, not treating it any differently and just kind of going about as normal. So and yeah, then it's trying not to, to over pump or overfeed, keep feeding as normal. Right. But yeah. Let things resolve. It is. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> bodies are crazy and that's so cool. Yeah. Um yeah. awesome. So your information will be below so people can like totally uh, follow you and get some more information, but do you want to tell everybody, um, Oh, and of course the question I was just going to ask you slipped my mind. (laughs) Um, yeah. Do you want to tell everybody, so like all of your support is in person, correct? Or do you do some virtual I do well? in person and virtual. Oh, great. So, I so do everyone them, can I do reach out to you. Yeah. Great. Amazing. <laughs> awesome. We'll definitely check out Chris's information below. Um, and I know that we just touched upon the surface of all the questions and, and information here today, but um, I think it's a great starting point. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing yeah. all of your knowledge. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Postpartum Plan Podcast. It is a pleasure to be your postpartum bestie, and I hope to have you back for another episode soon. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate, review, and subscribe. If you're interested in more information related to today's podcast or are looking for additional support in a postpartum doula or sleep consultant, you can find my information in the show notes or online at serenemomentsdoula.com.